I'll say, bless the Lord. If you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. How many of you are like, dude, we get three songs up front. Where's the third? Don't worry. We'll get our worship groove on, I promise. Um, We're going to have a little bit of an extended time of worship through sacraments and singing on the back end. But I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. This place is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. We want to be the kind of people who bring the whole gospel to the whole person, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And usually when we finish up a series, we like to come to the table together. Uh, It's a special night for us. Um, If you're new here or just considering the claims of Christ or spiritually curious, welcome. So glad you decided to come. You're in for a special evening. But you just need to know tonight, my job uh, is to kind of prompt us to come encounter God tonight through the elements. So this isn't so much of a sermon. This is the sermon tonight. And you get to actually taste and see that the Lord is good. And you get to encounter a holy God through common elements with common people and an uncommon grace. And so I love it. Um, I had a, what I thought was a funny illustration that I wanted to open up with tonight, but um, just getting a sense of that's not where the Lord wants to go. Um, and so ask me later, I'll tell you, it's awesome. Um, but I want to dive into our text. We're finishing up a series called Interrogative Questions That Leave a Mark. So four weeks ago, we were at the factory in Franklin, and we learned that disciples at one point in their discipleship career, Jesus said something, and they had a question, and they were too afraid to ask him. And we said, that's not going to be us. We're going to be asking, seeking, knocking, not just once, not twice, but spending a lifetime pursuing Jesus, especially through the questions. Then we took a look at John the Baptist asking a question that leaves a pretty big mark. Jesus, are you the one or should I look for someone else? And we decided that night that questions, it's just what we do when it looks like God's not coming through the way we want him to. We had the woman at the well, you ask me for a drink, and all the subtext and cultural innuendos that went along with that And we just looked at the fact that a lot of times we make lines and Jesus crosses them. And so our excuses for not fully following Christ may be the exact reasons he's calling us to fully follow him. And then what was the last one? I totally forgot. That's awesome. I don't remember what our other question was. Thank you. Last week. That's that's great, Chris. I'll make an awesome pastor. I can't remember my own sermons. How'd I expect you to remember them? I knew it was going to happen. Um, We uh, took a look at the woman with the alabaster jar, and she broke it over Jesus' head, and the disciples snickered and said, why this waste? And to some extent, we answered that with, why not? Let's royally waste our lives for the cause of Christ. So tonight, I got one more question um, that's going to appear in our text And I want to tell you the pastoral heartbeat behind why I believe this question is going to raise some stuff for us. Um, When we come to the table and we have an opportunity to celebrate the body and blood of Jesus, we get confronted with the cross and Jesus' sacrifice for us to make a way to God by his perfect sacrifice. A question that haunts a lot of us is, 
are you really worthy to walk forward and take that? And so I think one of his disciples was feeling something similar in the text in John chapter 13 tonight. So we're gonna allow the word of God to usher us into the presence of God. Turn with me to John chapter 13, please. John chapter 13, and we'll start in verse one. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? Yeah, that's the last verse. I'll say the word of the Lord if you say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So did you hear the question? I'm not sure I'm worthy enough for you to wash my feet. We've talked about this text before that that would have been the servant's job. It's his dirty feet. He's coming to Peter. And Peter's probably a little bit flabbergasted and offended by the fact that his rabbi is now bending down to serve him by washing his dirty feet. And when it comes to some of the dirt that's tracked on to our hearts and our minds and our hands from this week, I wonder if those of us, when we're invited to the table tonight, really go, ah, oh, Jesus, you're gonna offer me your body and blood? I just don't know. Jesus' response to Peter is, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me and what I'm doing. What is Jesus saying to him? If you don't let me serve you, how will you ever serve the people I'm calling you to? If you don't let me fully embrace you, how will you embrace the people that we're gonna expand the kingdom through? The real question I think Peter's asking and we're asking as we are confronted by the sacrifice that God has made through us, through Jesus Christ, is am I really worthy? Now, I, I know one of the things I love about Kairos is we got lots of different flavors of denominations and spiritual heritage, some with none, some with a bunch, some with really different ones. I don't know what yours looks like, but in my denomination, when we grew up, we rarely took Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving or Lord's Supper or communion. I can remember thinking, Lord's Supper, that's it? Can we get some more? Like, I'm still hungry. And like, Chris, that's blasphemy. That's to tell you about the church I grew up in. 
but we rarely took it and it was a small church and when it was time to take it, man, we got waylaid. Don't you dare come in an unworthy manner. Make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. If there is, you drink judgment and condemnation on yourself. And I'm like a 13 year old going, oh my gosh, did I cover all my sins? I'm like, we're gonna need more prep time if you actually want to confess all my sins. I'm not doing the whole blanket, you know it, but Jesus, it's a long list. Um, And what I felt more than love and forgiveness and the renewal of my commitment to Christ was, hey, if you're not good enough, don't walk forward. And I don't think that was their intention. Maybe it was, maybe it was me and my warped view of God, but just reading scripture and more and more digging into what Christ was doing here for us, I think nothing could be further from the truth. But it's a legitimate question, am I worthy? And what do we do with 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul says, to Christians and believers in the church, don't you eat or drink this in an unworthy manner. Because if you do, you're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And if you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, you drink judgment upon yourself. How do we take a Jesus with a bunch of half-committed disciples who offers them the Passover meal and reinstitutes it in the new covenant as his body and blood, And Paul going, don't you dare take this in an unworthy manner. How do we reconcile those two? Well, I think a couple observations are helpful. One, he says, don't take it in an unworthy manner. So if you are a child of God in this room, based off of the authority of scripture and the claims of the gospel, I can say this to you. Christ makes you worthy. Christ makes you worthy. Christ makes you you worthy. Why do you keep saying it? Because I think we need to hear it again and again for all the times that we act in unworthy ways to remember that he has justified me, sanctified me, and will glorify me in his eyes because of his body and blood. But it is possible for us to take it in an unworthy manner. And in the context, there's a couple of things that are revealed to us in that. This is a bunch of people who are having this agape love feast. The church is gathered. It's basically potluck, right? And they're celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ has died. He's risen. He's ascended and he'll come again. And they're heaven's outpost here on earth. And they're taking care of everyone's needs together. And it's incredible. And all of a sudden, it's turned upside down. The social, economical, and racial, and gender structures to where everyone is one in Christ Jesus And people from the outside are pointing, going, what are you doing worshiping with those people? And it's this amazing outpost and outpouring of God's spirit. But he says, oh, you're coming to the table with divisions among you. You come to the table when you are unreconciled to your brother or sister. How can you take the body and blood of Jesus that's reconciled you to God and not offer forgiveness and reconciliation to the person sitting next to you? He also says, some of you are butting your way to the front. You're eating your fill. You're drinking too much and getting drunk while other people stand back and go hungry because you're so self-indulgent and have no self-control. I think the reason Paul's fired up because he's going, that's not the kingdom of God. You're taking this beautiful, precious gift that made us all one in Christ Jesus, and now you're taking it in a way that reflects the world's values, not Jesus's. 
Do you feel a father's heart breaking for a family right instituted that has now become perverted? So what does it mean to take the body and blood in an unworthy manner? One, you have unconfessed sin to God or to your brothers and sisters. Two, it looks like you're just coming up for your own selfish desires and ignoring people who need to see Jesus, who are around you. You're nudging people out of the way so that you can come first and it's all about you with no consideration to who else needs to hear this, who else needs to be fed, who else has needs among us. I say all that to say, this is the time where we get to confess the unworthy ways in which we've lived and then reconfess the gospel. Christ makes me worthy. Christ makes me worthy. Why? Because the cross has declared me holy. That is the celebration that we come to at this table tonight. And so as we talk about a lot of times with our leadership team and our worship planning team, um, doing Eucharist and getting everybody to come forward, sometimes it's a logistical nightmare. Um, and so is most of my family dinners, but we still have them. So we always try to figure that out. And then one of the biggest concerns in our heart is we wanna be a place where we see you and we value you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Here's what I know about a lot of you in the room. You've been wounded by institutional church. There's been religious people in your life who have used guilt, fear, and condemnation and were woefully anemic when it came to faith, hope, and love. I get that. So the last thing I ever wanna do is put up any obstacle between you and Jesus, his body and his blood. But we wanna preach the Bible clearly. And one of the ways that that is is I wanna make sure that you know as a son and daughter of God who's confessed Christ, he's made you worthy and he's made a way for you to continue to renew your vows with him and live in relationship with him. What that's also gonna do on the other hand though is some of you are gonna realize I can't take it tonight because there's some things of unworthy manner in my life right now. And until I straighten that out, I think I need to pass. And we always talk, well, won't someone just feel ostracized or left out or just feel like there's this scarlet letter painted on them? Um, no, here's what I think. It'd be a sign of a healthy church. Because Paul says, examine yourself. And you've risen the level of God's holiness and the awareness of your shortcoming, which is what the cross is supposed to do. It's not just another night where I preach a sermon and your obedience is optional. You have to come forward and make a gospel confession. And if you're not in that place right now, thanks be to God, you're aware of it. And we will pray with you and pray for you and diligently walk with you. I was telling the staff today, just thinking of times in my life, I would have celebrated if why I sat next to my father who was secretly having an affair on my mother would have let the communion plate pass in front of him and go, thank you, Lord, he's aware. That's not to condemn certain sins. I'm the chief sinner here. I'm trying to get it on my business card, but the church hasn't approved it yet. I wonder if it's possible for us to ever become the type of congregation that embraces the holiness of God 
and the grandeur of our sin in the same breath and goes, thanks be to God, Christ has made a way. And I'm not gonna hide from it anymore. So when we come forward tonight, that's why we do a liturgical confession beforehand. It's why we repeat the same ancient words. We're gonna say things over and over again. And sometimes you're gonna go, yeah, I got this already. It doesn't keep me from telling my kids I love them. Because sometimes they're gonna come in and it's gonna glance right off. Sometimes they're gonna come in and they're gonna have a day that I have no idea what they've been through. And I say, I love you. And they're like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. These are words to help you prompt as you examine yourself. And we come to the table together as a family of faith, making sure that there is room for everyone at the table. And tonight, can we uh, try something even more fun? When you're given the body and blood of Jesus through the elements tonight, normally we say like the body of Christ or the cup of salvation. Tonight, when we hand it to you, each of the leaders who's handing it to you is going to say this. Christ makes you worthy. And your response is to say, because the cross declared me holy. We'll put it on the screen so you have your line, which means this. Theoretically tonight, we will have 500 gospel confessions in this room. I'm gonna send that to the business office. (laughs) Sorry, church humor. But I want you to feel the power of handing, having the body and blood of Jesus handed to you and someone looking at you and saying, Christ makes you worthy. And you have to respond because the cross declared me holy. Maintain eye contact. Shame is gonna kick in. Doubt is gonna kick in. But if you are a child of God who is following the risen Jesus, This is our family meal. And don't you dare let anyone keep you from taking it. Don't you dare come take it in an unworthy manner, but don't you dare let anyone tell you that you're not worthy because Jesus says you are. Amen? All right.